Welcome to Asia-Pacific Defence Reporter, your go-to source for cutting-edge security insights in the region. Get ready for rapid-fire analysis and commentary from the Asia-Pacific with your host, Kim Bergman. Hello and welcome back. The last podcast was concerned almost entirely with uh, the fiasco of Australia's fleet of Taipan helicopters being disassembled and buried. And uh, with everyone's indulgence, I'm going to continue with that because this is a very important topic. It has generated a huge amount of interest. um, And I think the situation is becoming so serious that it could threaten the ministerial career of Defence Minister Richard Miles. This is particularly in light of several new developments, probably the most important of them being that I have found out from extremely reliable sources that the minister and his office were advised in mid-November of Ukraine's interest in the Taipan fleet. Now, Ukraine uh, is suffering terrible losses. We don't know what the casualty figure is, but it, it is every week many hundreds dead and injured. We can be pretty certain that the conflict is of that scale. Now, Ukraine apparently is interested in the Taipans not so much for combat use, but very much for medical evacuation. And you can understand why. Because in military terms, it applies to civilians as well, there is what is called the golden hour. And it's very simple. It says that if a seriously injured person can be taken to a hospital within 60 minutes of being wounded, their chances of survival increase dramatically. Once it goes beyond 60 minutes, um, apparently a person's condition deteriorates very, very rapidly. So there has to be a huge focus on very fast casualty evacuation. And even if a few Australian Taipan helicopters were available, let alone the entire fleet of 45, it would have a huge impact, positive impact, on Ukraine's efforts to keep their people alive. And of course, the the people being wounded are disproportionately young, mainly men, but some women, you know, of fighting age. And It's a potential demographic problem for the entire country. They are losing so many young people through injuries, and Australia is in a position to help them with the Taipans. Now, what sort of government do we have that wouldn't immediately leap at that chance to help and to really make a material difference? Yes, we have contributed Bushmasters and a few other things, but the Taipans would represent an order of magnitude greater capability that we would be delivering to Ukraine. Now, I've seen a bit of commentary, a lot of it not at all well-researched, suggesting that Ukraine would not be in a position to support the Taipan fleet. The argument says, well, Australia can't support them, so what would Ukraine do with them? Ukraine could manage a lot better than Australia, I would argue. And in any case, the manufacturer Airbus has a big support centre in neighbouring Romania that looks after a fleet of Super Puma helicopters, 
and they are the pre- precursor to the Taipans, the NH90 family. And in Ukraine itself, there is one of the world's most famous aviation companies, Antonov. Been around for 77 years, built over 20,000 aircraft, and despite, well, maybe because of the war, they still have about 13,000 employees. And as well as that, there are the in-house resources of the Ukrainian Air Force, more broadly, the Ukrainian military. And if they can support F-16s, which they are gearing up to do, then they can certainly support the Taipan fleet. So the big question for the government and specifically for Richard Miles, is why didn't work stop immediately on dismantling the Taipan fleet in mid-November when they were first made aware that, yes, Ukrainian wants wants these things? I assume that the poor, naive Ukrainians assumed that, that work on dismantling would stop at that point. It didn't. So they then put in an official request in the middle of December. And yet, it appears that disassembly work is still continuing despite that official request. And the big question is why? Now, my instincts tell me that Richard Miles is in real danger here. And I'll just observe that political crises can be a bit like pulling a brick with a long piece of elastic. You know, I have in mind things like robo-debt. And the analogy is, okay, you pull the elastic at first and the brick doesn't move. So then you move further away from the brick and you pull a bit harder on the elastic and still the brick doesn't move. And so you then pull in more elastic and then, whoa, all of a sudden the brick flies up and it hits you in the face. Now, for me, and because this is the Christmas holiday period, this nonsense of burying 45 good helicopters, has the potential to be extremely damaging uh, to the government and to uh, Richard Miles. Now, I've worked in politics for a while, and certainly I've worked around politics for pretty much all of my life. So I can say that, that as I've discussed before, the opposition uh, for the moment has been completely silent on this. Uh, I suspect uh, it is because of um, Andrew Hastie's loyalty to army. Now, I don't know that. That's my speculation. I've not spoken with Mr. Hastie. Uh, but I will say that uh, there might be concern elsewhere in the opposition thinking, well, we have our fingerprints all over this as well, as in army aviation and the future of helicopters. And, of course, they would be absolutely correct thinking that. Peter Dutton himself as Defence Minister, was directly involved in the decision to retire Taipans early. Bad choice, but, you know, he made that decision. But circumstances have changed. That happened well before the Ukraine war, and it certainly happened before Ukraine asked for the helicopters. So it would be, I think, very easy for the opposition to call for the head of the Defence Minister if there was some pushback about, well, you were involved in this as well, it's easy for the opposition to say, yeah, but it was never our intention to bury these helicopters and especially not to do so once it became known that Ukraine wants them and could use them for life-saving purposes. Now, look, as an aside, 
I have a bit of sympathy for all defence ministers because it is easy to be impressed or intimidated by so-called professional military advice. Look, it actually happens in, in all domains of public policy where subject matter experts rightly have the upper hand in any discussion. You want the experts to have an important say, but not the only say. They are providing advice. It's up to politicians, up to ministers to manage their portfolio and to, where necessary, question decisions, ask for different perspectives, ask for different ways of solving a particular problem. And, you know, like burying Taipan helicopters or thinking that the US is doing us a favour, selling us second-hand submarines, these are examples that when you think about it for a moment, they're just nonsensical. But they have been recommended by the experts and all have been swallowed hook, line and sinker by ministers. Now, let's have a quick think about why Army wants to bury the helicopters. The most obvious answer is that they would be humiliated if another country like Ukraine or New Zealand acquired them and then almost immediately started operating them successfully. They would be made to look like a bunch of fools, and no one likes that. Now, also, I don't rule out the possibility that this is partly to punish Airbus, and I cannot convey to people just how petty and vindictive defence can be in some circumstances. And they would see that if the helicopters were indeed sold, Airbus or sold, transferred, doesn't matter, Airbus would be supporting them and earning money from supporting them for years to come. The actual design life of the helicopters is through to about 2038, possibly longer. Now, the defence mentality might be, oh, well, ha ha ha, we, we can't have that. And since the military and defence mindset is never to accept any responsibility for problems, that means it must be the fault of industry. And so industry has to be blamed and punished. And in a future podcast, I'll tell you all a funny story about my experiences with that. Anyway, uh, back to federal politics and the main point of all of this and, uh, and the future of the defence minister. Now, in opposition, it's a pretty thankless existence. Um, can be quite futile and frustrating because most of the media attention is, is on the government for understandable reasons. Now, forcing the resignation of a minister when you're in, in opposition is one of the most exciting and politically stimulating and worthwhile things that you can do. Now, forcing the resignation of the defence minister would be a major achievement in its own right and it would feed into a broader conservative narrative of Labour being poor on national security. But the bonus is to get rid of someone who insists on, for reasons I don't understand, who insists on being called the Deputy Prime Minister, that would add to the impact. It's two ministers for the price of one, so to speak. And so... Whether we have to wait until question time or whether it can be done before that, the big question that needs to go to Richard Miles is, why have you agreed to the dismantling and burial of the Taipan helicopters rather than their transfer to Ukraine? And I just don't see any easy way out of 
answering that truthfully. I know this is all a bit at the moment, let's pick on Richard Miles today, but he is the minister and he is responsible for this appalling Taipan decision. Now, I'd also suggest that defence and ADF themselves need to be a bit careful here and they may also just want to go a little bit slowly because they can all read the newspapers and now everyone certainly everyone at a senior level, would clearly be aware of Ukraine's interest. Now, I suspect that, you know, there's some chance that there's going to be an inquiry into all of this. I'm not even ruling out the possibility of a Senate inquiry, not with the cooperation of the government, but with very limited terms of reference. You could have the opposition and the Greens and the independents supporting something like this. And Just like RoboDebt, I think this scandal is so bad that eventually a lot of people are going to get named and they might want to consider how history will judge them. Also, I'll just remind everyone here of um, MH17. That was the Malaysian Airlines flight shot down by the Russians in July 2014. All 283 people were killed including 28 Australians. Now, Ukraine is fighting an invasion from the same criminals and murderers who did that. And with that in mind as well, I think that we could be doing a lot more to help Ukraine. By the way, I also wonder where Penny Wong is in all of this. Yes, we're, you know, Christmas leave and all the rest, but it's now mid-January. Come on, ministers, time for you to get back to work. And I note that Australia has still not reopened our embassy in Kiev, which frankly is an international embarrassment. There are, I've I've touched on this before, there are 50 countries roughly that are supporting Ukraine. Australia is in that group and we are the only nation amongst that 50 who does not have or who has not reopened the Kiev embassy. And this gets back to my earlier point that ministers are there to run and manage their portfolios, not to simply uncritically accept and sign off on everything, no matter how stupid it is, that comes from the department. Now, that's all pretty heavy going. So for a bit of comic relief, I thought I'd mentioned that indirectly I've been involved in an earlier bizarre Australian practice of burying military helicopters. Now, does anyone remember Papua New Guinea and the Sandline Crisis of 1997? This is a long and very interesting story, but it's not the purpose of this podcast to go through everything related to it. In summary, it was about the central government in Port Moresby trying to regain control of Bougainville, the island of Bougainville, which had sort of declared independence and uh, was in a state of considerable unrest. Now, Port Moresby not only saw Bougainville, the Bougainvillean people, as being part of their country, they also had in, in mind things like the presence in Bougainville of the huge Panguna copper mine, one of the richest deposits in the world. Anyway, then Prime Minister Sir Julius Chan decided to contract the Sandline Company of Mercenaries, 44 
ex-Special Forces soldiers from the UK, South Africa and Australia to fight alongside PNG in basically putting an end to the Bougainville Rebellion. Now, the whole thing fell through for a number of reasons, including basically the Papua New Guinea military mutiny. Now, at that time, as part of this sandline thing, a giant Antonov transport aircraft, see, Antonov again, uh, built in Ukraine, it landed in Bangkok, uh, and it contained a lot of weapons and two MI-24 Hind helicopter gunships. At the time, very, very powerful gunships. Uh, people who have been around for a while would know them. The, the, uh, they were built back in the days of the Soviet Union, purchased by about 50 countries. Fearsome, fearsome uh, helicopters, uh, heavily armed and armoured. You didn't want to run into them anyway. Now, Papua New Guinea refused to accept the delivery uh, of the helicopters and the weapons, and that's possibly because they were contractually on the hook to Sandline for about um, 36 million US dollars. And if they'd taken delivery, they might have had to pay that amount. Now, Thailand also didn't want the aircraft or its cargo. So Australian diplomats said, OK, we'll take it. Now, the Antonov was flown to RAF Base Tyndall and unloaded. And here I come into the picture. At the time, I was working for Talis. Um, back then, it, it was trading under the name of Thompson CSF, the main defence electronics company France. It was and remains, uh, you know, a world leader in all sorts of senses with radar, I would say, still very much at the heart. Anyway, one afternoon in my Canberra office, I received a call from someone senior in defence. I'll say it was a deputy secretary because there might still be some issues of confidentiality. And they asked if I happened to know anyone interested in buying two Russian attack helicopters. Anyway, as it happened at that stage, I was working for the sort of international division of the company. So I had a, a broader remit than just Australia. And so it happened by coincidence that I was in exactly the right place to start making inquiries. And yes, I spoke with Paris headquarters, seemed a bit strange, but they immediately said, yes, sure, we are definitely interested in buying them. And as it happened, we were bidding for a large air defence radar contract in, for memory, Slovakia. Now, at the time, the Slovakian Air Force operated MI-24s, and we had the pretty good feeling that either they wanted more or they would at the very least be open to receiving another two, which would essentially be for free because after having inspected and buying them, uh, we would cover the cost in our bid for the air defence radars. But this is where the story fizzles out because of good old Australian bureaucracy. Even though I had in-principle agreement and I had a couple of engineers ready to fly out and calculate the value of the helicopters, it all became bogged down over issues of whether there should be a competitive tender for their disposal and all of that sort of stuff. And finally, it just all became too difficult. So, Fast forward to 2016. The aircraft that had been sitting somewhere at Tyndall, and by this stage, they, you know, because they hadn't been looked after, no maintenance, though pretty close to unflyable. So they were moved to Darwin and buried in the Shoalwater Bay landfill. And might resonate today. The reasons for that included the cost of transporting them anywhere. Anyway, uh, there you go. 
I'm going to conclude on that, again, slightly sad but slightly amusing story about hind gunships and burying those as well and say that this mess with the helicopters is going to continue because now it has an international dimension. I'll hopefully touch on this more in the next podcast. And I can tell you that people in Kiev are starting to get really stirred up about this, understandably, because it's the lives of their young people that are involved here. And the Ukraine media has also started to ask questions of saying, what is wrong with these Australians? They say that they're our allies, but rather than find ways of getting these precious helicopters to us, they want to destroy them instead. Okay, uh, more to come. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye for now. That's today's Asia-Pacific Defence Reporter. For more in-depth articles, expert opinions and exclusive interviews, visit asiapacificdefensereporter.com. Stay informed, stay ahead. This is your source for all things defence. Until next time.